0: Good morning, Hillsdale. And to all our listeners, wherever you're listening, this is American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation, on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. My name is Ben Dietrich. Good to be with you here on this Monday morning. We're coming to you live from our studios at Hillsdale College's campus. It is 8.08 a.m. So if you're listening to the show later in the day, that's cool, too. We got a lot... um, of non-newsy stuff to talk about today. We're going to take a little bit different of a road. Normally on this show, we bring on guests uh, to talk about politics. Um, We talk about the pressing issues facing the nation. Um, Sometimes, though, we do take a break from that to discuss and dive into other topics. As you may uh, know, on Friday, after they... Senate voted not to include extra witnesses for the President Trump's impeachment trial. The trial was all but surely finished. Acquittal seemed, you know, um, that there was no way it was going to be avoided. But they decided to postpone that acquittal vote until this Wednesday. That's created somewhat of a buffer period um, to give some people some breathing room. Of course, there is a lot happening till then, but we had the benefit of having the entire weekend to kind of take a break. Of course, yesterday was the Super Bowl. Candidates in Iowa are making their last pushes as they, we will see later on today as they caucus in, in uh, Iowa, the Democrats do. We'll see, you know, how strong Bernie Sanders really is. They've. There's been a lot of talk about a surge with Bernie Sanders, but we won't really know until later this evening. And then, of course, tomorrow, the president delivers his State of the Union address. People will be curious to see what type of um, tone the president shows. You know, obviously, he will be acquitted the very next morning. I imagine he would have preferred to have had it happen before his State of the Union. But, you know, either way, it seems obvious that he will be acquitted. So he will have that to kind of wave in their faces. How he will handle that will be interesting to see um And we will follow all of that and and uh have some great guests to talk about that with on friday uh later on this week. but today I think it 's important that we um take some time you know to to remember through all the partisanship that 's gone on because let 's be honest guys I mean impeachment has been nothing but a a partisan charade and and regardless of who you think ultimately, ultimately is to blame. Um, you know, I talked to a lot of Democrats over the weekend, a lot of liberals that are very frustrated. They feel that, you know, the, the president, that, that the trial was not fair because of witnesses, uh, because there were no witnesses called the Senate, um, which, you know, is interesting for me because I know a lot of conservatives, including myself, that were, were frustrated in the way the trial was handled in the House. And and believe that, you know, the entire foundation for the trial was, in fact, illegitimate. <laughs> and, and, you know, you just lead down a rabbit hole of arguments and debates that that uh, follow from that, that exact point. Um, so, you know, we'll, we will follow that and we will see where that goes. But today we thought it would be important to talk about things that could be helpful uh, regardless of the political side you're on. And, you know, we did an interview with Dr. Meehan in in washington dc he's the author of mr Mean's mildly amusing mythical mammals it's a great children's book about uh you know these uh, mammals that each letter has a different mammal they are mythical um they are you know have some they're not just you know uh for children The meaning behind these stories of these poems um, actually, stretches far beyond that, and I think you'll you'll see that when we talk to Doctor Meehan. That will be later on this episode. Now, why read a children's book on on the air of an adult radio show? That's that's a good question, um, and you know that makes me think of uh, a famous phrase that you know I think Mister mean Doctor Meehan echoed in his book, and is also talked about in in Mister. Uh, if you've ever seen Mister Rogers' show which is the idea that, you know, you were once a kid too. Perhaps there's something that we can all learn um, from, from children. I got to go to the movies over the weekend, and I decided to go see It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It's a, a movie that actually came out in November, but it's still showing in Hillsdale Cinemas, um, which is unusual. But you can still see it there. And And that movie was about Mr. Rogers and, of course, the TV show he ran for decades Um, A childhood TV show, and you know, it focused on the character of the man, and that's that's what I thought we should focus on today. I think it brings about a beautiful antidote about what it means to be a good person, to have good character, and you know, regardless of whatever your political views are, I think there's something valuable that could be learned about this man um, today in the in the world we live in, uh, just because. All that, you know, is happening, I feel like we're constantly seeing people that we considered role models, you know, whether they be actors or, or famous celebrities, politicians and whatnot, they get accused of uh, doing some terrible things and it kind of shatters your world. And I think it makes a lot of people question whether or not, you know, people can actually be really that good or, you know, everybody... Has to accept somewhat that they are going to be um, flawed, and of course, everybody has their flaws. But it doesn't mean you can't strive for greatness to be good. So we're going to talk about that. Um, I think you know, Doctor Arn and the Aristotle's Ethics has a lot to say on this as well, and I'd like to tie some of that in first. Though, why don't we hear the the trailer from this this movie, and we will go from there, so you can kind of see where we're what we're talking about. So this is the trailer for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Um, About Mr. Rogers.
1: Hey, I'm looking for Fred Rogers in here. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Please, won't you be my neighbor? Hello, neighbor. Mr. Rogers, I'm here to interview you. It is so nice to meet you. You okay? I'm profiling Mr. Rogers.
0: Lloyd, please don't ruin my childhood.
1: This piece will be for an issue about heroes. Do you consider yourself a hero? World, positive ways of dealing with their feelings. Yeah, like what? There are many things you can do. You can play all the lowest keys on a piano at the same time. You love broken people like me sometimes we have to ask for help and that's okay i think the best thing we can do is to let people know that each one of them is precious
0: So that's the newest trailer for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Like I said, it was released over this or earlier this winter, but it's still in the theaters that you could hear at the end. There are some kids singing um, the Mr. Rogers' intro song from his TV show to him on the subway. That actually is something that did happen. Most of this movie is, in fact, based on a true story, um, which is kind of cool, that a lot of these scenes did happen. A, a guy, a journalist, uh, as you might have been able to discern from the trailer, was assigned to profile Mr. Rogers, he was quite a narcissist, quite a pessimist. He often would cover people uh, in a negative way, kind of show their flaws. And he was asked to do kind of a fluff piece on Mr. Rogers. Um, and, you know, as it turned out, this author had some demons of his own that had to do with his family and his relationship with his father. Um, and, you know, Mr. Rogers helped him with that. And he was shocked by how kind Mr. Rogers was. He couldn't believe that it could be possibly real that, that that, you know, Mr. Rogers could be that good of a person. And then the question comes about how does one become such a good person, you know? Um and and and, and you know, to some it seems almost alien that you can be such a good person. And and the answer to that is that no, it's not that you're born this way that you're, you know there, there are not some people that are born great and others that are just born to be bad, but that to be good, it takes practice. Um, you know the ethics, uh, the Greek word "ethic ethics, um, the word that comes from that, there's a, a short voweled version and a long voweled version. The short voweled version relates to habits, and it means that you know it requires habits to have your your uh your ethics or your character um you know be etched that that it starts with doing the same thing over and over again it's one of the reasons actually if you ever watched mr rogers as a child you would know that he would come in the same way every episode and he would say you know um hello and uh you know Ask everybody to be his neighbor, sing a song. But he would do the same routine every time. He would go over, you know, take off his blazer, put it in the closet. He would put on his sweater. He would take off his his loafers and put on his tennis shoes and tie them, and do the same thing at the end of the episode, but reverse. Um, and this is this is intentional. It's to teach children about the importance of good habits, making your bed. Um, those things do matter, and when you do them enough, then they become ingrained in you and oftentimes those good things, when they are good things become things that then you don't even feel like you are doing because you have to do it or because you you need to do it, but because you want to do it and that's that's how good character forms um beyond just those types of habits but with other in other ways with the way you treat people. And the funny thing about this movie, guys, and this is why I think it's worth talking today about today. Um, after we have been just through such a partisan time on uh, with impeachment, and I know it makes people feel so divided because they honestly don't feel like they can come to any common answer with this trial. For instance, for me, I, I, I will be honest; I, I don't. I completely agree with the Republican decision not to call witnesses. I think it was right, and I, you know, I, I think that. Honestly, the, the the thing was a sham from the start, and uh, was political from the start, and and that upsets a lot of my liberal friends when I tell them that. It leads to such a divisive road of discussion, and this movie is one of those things that I think reminds us, especially as Americans, the the common identity that we all share. Now, there's a line in this trailer. If we if we roll it back here, um, where Mister Rogers talks about. Uh, You know the way that you treat a person. Let's see if we can we can find it here. It should come up here.
1: Sometimes we have to ask for help, and that's okay. I think the best thing we can do is to let people know that each one of them is precious.
0: To let people know that each one of them is precious. That every human life matters. And believe it or not, I know if you are um, deeply involved in the pro-life movement, they can feel like conservatives and liberals even disagree on this point. But believe it or not, I, I, I really don't think that's that's true, ultimately. Um I'll talk about what I mean by that. Look, this movie was produ- It stars Tom Hanks. It was produced in Hollywood. It, it had the support of, you know, and, and the reviews it got were great from some of the most progressive and liberal magazines out there. They can get behind um, a story like this, which is about kindness. It's about empathy um, towards other people. And um, fundamentally, I think that that's something that you see as, as Americans we share. I would argue it comes from our mission statement as a country. Um, the idea that all people are created equal, that they deserve life and liberty because they come from God and, and, you know, they are made in the image of God and that makes them very special. Um, one part of this movie that I don't think they emphasize enough is the fact that Mr. Rogers was in fact a Presbyterian minister. He prayed all the time. They do mention a bit that he prayed and at the end of the movie, it's a, it's a beautiful thing when, he asks the author, the journalist who 's covering him, his dying father, to pray for him, and uh, Mr. Rogers asks him that because he says, "I imagine you're pretty close to God right now and um that's that's pretty cool, but you know the the idea that you know people need to recognize that every single person has something to offer to this world, that they are not just a statistic that they um are not just meaninglessly here that their their life has value is important. We forget how much uh, mental illness is a problem in this country. How much so many Americans today um, feel dissatisfied who who don't believe that their life is worth living. Um, you know the, the famous phrase from Hamlet uh, that Shakespeare wrote for him: "To be or not to be, uh, that is the question." And that poem goes on to talk about a young. Hamlet, who is drifting um, and, and fails to find any con- you know, solid ground to stand on, any truth um, to cling to, he's dissatisfied with the world around him and, uh, and, and, and questions whether or not life is worth living or if it's better to sleep, if that, that is ultimately actually a better experience than to endure the pains of reality. Um, and, and that's something that I think is, is fitting to think about today because unfortunately... A lot of young people um, choose the latter in this country. Uh, Suicide rates, as you can look at them, if if you look online and you look at where they're recorded, since they've been recorded, they're at all-time highs. All-time highs. Young males are specifically um, suffering from this. We see that life expectancy. Um, Last episode, we talked about a bit of this, and I want to say there is some good news on this front. Life expectancy, for the first time in... Let's see here. I believe four years is increasing, which is great. But the fact that it decreased for four years is, is bad. Why, why has it finally increased for the first time in four years? Fatal drug overdoses. So people who have died from drug overdoses. That number dropped in 2018 for the first time in nearly 30 years. Okay. Okay as did cancer-related deaths, but that's, that's another matter here. Um, the last 30 years, even last year, okay, over 70,000 people died from drug overdoses in just one year alone, annually. That's more each year than the entire Vietnam War combined. That's more than the height of the AIDS epidemic. People are drugging themselves and they're killing themselves, um at rates in America that previous generations never saw. And while we are finally seeing that turn around, um, slowly, slowly, um, it's still very much a problem. And, you know, especially this, the suicide aspect. You know, we, we have woken up to the, I think, the opioid epidemic, which is good. There's still, of course, a lot of work to be done. And I think everybody, um, everybody I know at least knows somebody that's been affected in in some way by by the opioid epidemic, by the mental health crisis in this country that's led to suicide, and we feel it. And it's so important to remember. You know, this movie I think is a great thing to bring up because remembering the uh, the sanctity of human life, like the, you know, the greatness in living alone that it brings. is is such a great thing. And the way you treat other people um, really does matter. And and especially even in politics, that stuff matters. Um, Mr. Rogers is a great example to look up to. He is a great character um, profile example, a character study worth studying, especially for young kids. I suggest you bring your kids, you know, um, and... uh, if you're interested, you know, see a movie like that. See, it can be; it doesn't have to be this movie. It can be any movie that you know. I think really uh, teaches what it means to be a good person. Because today, it is easy to forget that there are actually people that good. That's the type of people that make true differences in the world. Um, George Washington, he too, like Mister Rogers, had a temper and could get really, really angry. Um, but he had to learn how to control that temper. And he ended up being one of the most virtuous people ever to live. He was loved and revered by an entire nation, um, so much to the extent that they begged him to come back and to lead them once more. And you know, that took practice. People aren't born that way, and it's it's, it's important to remember that. Um, and even though there is a fundamental disagreement, I know that for people who are pro life. Uh, they feel like they have the upper bar on this because, of course, we stand up for the unborn, um, and that is that is true. And we should continue to stand up for the unborn if you feel if you are pro life. But I, I don't think we should discount the right or the left, excuse me, as cold on this subject. I agree that there are plenty of problems on the left on this matter. Um, The fact that, you know, they preach equality, they preach love and kindness, but it only seems to apply to some and not to others. I think there's a blurred vision on this subject. You know, if you are in the group that is not uh, a victim, if you are a victim, then you are welcomed in and you deserve to be um, loved and uh, they feel empathy towards you. But if you are considered a perpetrator in any way just by the social group you are in and they attack you, and I think that dehumanizes you, that is dangerous. Identity politics threatens this idea that every human life is, is precious, and we should reject it, as we should reject socialism, because stealing from the backs of others is also dehumanizing. Um, that is also wrong. But if, at least the very least, we could we could pledge today to return to the vision of our founders, um, the vision that all people are created equal, that they uh, have, you know, that humanity is a beautiful thing. I think that would go uh, along a long way you know so I I wish you all um, a great Monday when we come back we're going to talk with Dr. Matthew Meehan on mildly amusing mythical mammals this has been American View on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM Welcome back to American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. We have Matthew Meehan on the phone right now. Dr. Meehan is the Director of Academic Programs and the Worship Teaching Fellow at Hillsdale College's campus in D.C. He's been on the show several times before, and uh, he always comes with literature, and we appreciate that here at American View. It's sometimes nice to get a break from all the discussions of politics and uh, partisanship that we normally talk about on the show. And with the impeachment trial, taking a brief pause, we're, we're so happy to have Dr. Meehan on here to talk about something other than impeachment. Um, so, Dr. Meehan, thank you for joining us.
1: No, thanks for having me, Ben.
0: So you are the author of Mr. Meehan's Mildly Amusing Mythical Mammals. And it's a children's book, but it also has a lot to offer for adults, correct?
1: That's right. I sometimes call it a family book for littles, middles, and bigs.
0: And and these poems that you know, if anybody out there has ever read, you know, Dr. Seuss as a kid, which I'm sure most of you guys have, uh, it's it's kind of similar to that. But a lot of these poems have a lot of um, deeper meanings. And so we thought uh, here at American View would be a good idea today to take a break uh, from what we normally talk about, um, dive deep in some some fun literature that you know I think we might all find. Has some deeper meanings. The first poem that we decided we were going to talk uh, talk about today was "The Gallant" and "The Golden Birch." Tell us a little bit about it before we get going here, Dr. Meehan.
1: So it's uh, it's an alphabet of poems, and this is the letter G creature, uh, and he's sort of an antlered uh, uh, gray figure with uh, a cane, um, and he's sort of a creature of the north woods with a big, glorious rack of of antlers, uh, something between. Uh, man and uh and elk uh, and uh, the golden Birch is sort of his friend, and it's a poem about friendship um, and it's it's a kind of both an homage but also a little bit of a, a correction to uh Robert Frost's good fences uh, hmm. or you know mending wall or bend good fences make
0: good neighbors kind of sentiments and now that there are some illustrations that go along with these poems, um obviously our listeners can't see them. But do you want to describe, I, I guess, what's happening in the illustration as well?
1: Yeah, so there's two pieces of art for each poem. There's a letter block with a lot of alliterative puns, and you've got the the gallant is sort of gingerly and gently uh, holding some green grapes on a vine, sort of tending these uh, fragile plants, helping them up um, to grow. Uh, so he's sort of a very tender, natural creature. And then there's a beautiful oil painting, uh, and that's shows the, the gallant uh, essentially padding uh, the trunk of this grand and beautiful golden birch, which is a very rare kind of birch that grows up in the, the north woods of the United States, up in Upper Peninsula, Michigan, and northern Wisconsin and Minnesota. Hmm.
0: And so, yeah, the book kind of combines kind of the fantastical things, and, and as it sounds like what you're talking about, real things out there as well.
1: That's right. You know, you always... Poets... Poetry is always imitation, uh, but it's always an imitation of reality in some way or another, if it's true, if it's good.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, uh, would you like to read the poem for us?
1: Sure. The Gallant and the Golden Birch. This creature is aged, gray, and good, and I've seen him walking in the deep wood. Twenty summers ago, where the old birch stood, the gallant overtook me as only he could. With a pardon me and an if I may, minding the mint leaves and picking his way. He stopped at the old birch and gently his hand patted that tree's curlicue bands. Mr. Birch, the gallant asked, how do you do? I've come from Turtle Bay just to see you. Blueberry Hills looking very blue, though the bear cubs have eaten more than a few. The golden birch, an old birch, mind you now, made a sweeping, gallant, golden bough that bent his grand canopy down "'and touched green to gray, crown to crown. "'Mr. Birch,' the gallant smiled, "'it's so good to meet you out here in the wild. "'I recall a sapling and a gallant child "'met on this day and played for a while. "'And as the gallant spoke these words, "'his friend received a flock of birds. "'I see you've got company to wait on. "'I'd best not stand here and prate on.' "'Old Mr. Birch seemed somehow to nod. "'For the gallant and him,' this was nothing odd
0: wow so walk us through right now um when you you know when you wrote this um what was your your purpose what what did you want to convey to the readers out there both the young and then also the old
1: well i wanted to give an image of a grand and gentle old man uh you know and uh And also of a grand and and, uh, gentle old friendship, Um, one that had many years behind it and so that didn't always need words uh, to convey um, their feelings and their regard for one another. And so, you know, it's almost a one-way conversation, but the golden birch being a plant, you know, it's sort of limited, Mm -hmm. but nevertheless, a few symbols here and there uh, of bowing, sort of touching crown to crown, like head to head way sometimes you see an old friend visit an old sick friend. Um they touch crowns, uh mind to mind as their bodies fail. Um and uh yeah I wanted a picture of friendship and loyalty. Uh but one that didn't, you know, wasn't wasn't demanding of one another, that sort of quickly stepped out of the other's way uh, and and just knew that there was the business of the day to handle. Um and I was a kind of an also uh, an homage to uh, uh, my grandmother and grandfather at a cottage Mm -hmm. in northern Wisconsin right on the UP border, uh, and the neighbor, um, his name was Clarence Alt, a very old guy, but very gentle. He was kind of an analog for the gallant, and he would always come visit my much taller and tanned grandfather. Uh, And so the golden birch is sort of an homage to my grandfather, who is of, you know, few words. Yeah. Uh and I had a lot of grandchildren so he was always busy um so it's kind of an, it's an homage to uh my grandfather and his neighbor uh but uh but it's also just uh, an image of somewhat more stoical uh sort of american old man friendship yeah um that i, I thought was something that be beautiful and worth seeing
0: you know it it's funny um it seems like today uh, in American society, people, you know, there's a lot of friendships obviously out there that are friendships of utility. You know, you need something. You know, you, maybe it's a coworker or somebody you meet through networking, or people you meet along the way at school, um, and you're friends with them because they're the people around you. Uh, but you know, we don't talk a whole lot about those those higher types of friendships uh, as much anymore, and, and you know what distinguishes them. Um, and what it requires from the two people. I mean, would, would you agree with that? Do you think it, it's that that kids today, at the very least, perhaps aren't as exposed to those, you know, higher types of friendships?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, the young are always trying to, to foster uh, friendships. They're very open to friendship. They're very affable. Um, they're not given a sort of the highest ideals of friendship often. Um, I think the, the one exception to that is loyalty. Uh, there is a sort of like uh, very powerful. It's almost against virtue or against the other mm-hmm. virtues, that you're loyal to your friends, to a fault, even against authority figures, against you know, telling things you should tell your parents and that sort of thing, sort of the tribe first. Um, so it's kind of a mixed bag. But, you know, that loyalty is something to build on. It's just you've got to then bring reason to that loyalty, right? Yeah. You've got to base that loyalty on virtue. You're loyal to them for their happiness and their health, not just for loyalty's sake. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So um, I understand that you, you have another poem as well to, to share with us today.
1: Yeah. I, that one's very sort of humanistic and Frostian. Yeah. um uh and and you know that's a very important thing that poetry does uh but i thought it was kind of f- fun to take it a notch uh lower and a notch higher at the same time with uh, the letter w creature which is the double vole uh which uh, you know if i read the first poem that'll sort of start to explain why the w uh creature would have a v sound uh the double vole um and there is for people who understand their Latin, which is kind of a joke that runs through the whole thing, because this is designed to encourage liberal arts education very gently um, in families. The W in classical Latin is the W. So there's that. But there's another reason, too. So, huh. But this double vole is actually a creature with a very long tail and two very different ends of that tail. One's this grand creature. This is almost sort of winged stallion-like uh, seahorse-looking creature that's huge wings and beating up to heaven. And then the other, on the end of this very long and twisting tail, is this sort of shriveled and shrunken little creature with little bat wings that barely fly and kind of small eyes and little snout. Um, so it's this kind of mixed, uh, split creature, the double vole.
0: Kind of like a, I'll read the, a double-faced man or or something like that.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's definitely it's very allegorical, and there's two poems. So I'll read the first one, which is more doggerel verse. It's very kind of pithy and catchy and rhymy, and then the second poem on the same page is a differing tale, huh, pun in sonnet form. Um, sure. So, but I'll just read the first one for you, which mm-hmm. is kind of just rollicking and silliness, but always something more. The Vole is a mammal who will likely start to trouble you because he lacks a W. But if you had a second head that also needed to be fed and fought you when it's time for bed, why would it be a thing untrue to say you were a W? And so the Vole's tail permits a double V, where usually sits a W that one admits looks made of misnamed alphabets. For W seems made of these, not W's, but double V's. Just basic silliness, but, you know, sort of punting on the shape of letters. And, <laughs> right? But this, you know, this double creature that, right, if you had a second head that also needed to be fed and fought you when it's time for bed, why would it be a thing untrue to say you were a W? <laughs> right? Sort of the the common uh, problem we all have. Is,
0: yeah. It seems to have a, a, a deeper know. meaning than just
1: letters. Yeah. And, you know, "vole" in Latin uh, actually means uh, to will, right. Vole is to choose. So it's the problem of like the broken will of man, right. Fallen nature. Yeah. Um, and then there's a second, um, a second poem that I mentioned, that's a, a, sort of that, that one's very low and base and silly. And then the second one is much more, uh, high register. It's a sonnet that also has an acrostic in the first letter of each uh, line. Um, It's fairly subtle, but and it has the. It's just very formal with the, the volta and the interweaving of lines, and you'll hear it's much. It's about as hoity-toity as the book ever gets in terms of poetry. (laughs) A differing tale in sonnet form. Whoever severs fairest Vole's tale, will be forever headsman of the worm which turns within the heart of vale or wood or cave. To end its beastly term, one must, if able, raise an axe of fire. Oh, let that courser of the air ascend, let such a magic steed fulfill desire and lift on wings not fit for lesser ends. Except, if one there is whose heart gives heat, enough to take delight in fallen things, loving the lost with healing fire replete, or raising by degrees the worm's cold wings. Vole, oh, Vole, you are double here. Evince a will to love as one draws near.
0: Wow. That was kind of dark.
1: Yeah. Well, it presents a kind of option, right? There's sort of two... It's hard to hear on a first run other than you get sort of the basic overall sense, but if you attend to it, there's two parts to the right. to the sonnet in that. You, look, if you want to... You know, uh, if you want to get rid of the dark side of the tail, you need to pick up an axe of fire mm. and do violence, right? You gotta you're going to have to chop off the back end, right? And the painting actually sort of shows you that the tail of the vole, the darker, shriveled up side, is wrapped around this sort of, this sort of seven storied mountain, like a purgatorial mountain, and then wrapped in a dark wood, and then down into a cave, right? And then the the courser of the air is desperately trying to fly high in the air. Um, but it's trapped. He says, well, you're going to have to cut it off with an axe. Uh, but, he says, you know, if you're able, not Cain. Um, but but, uh,
0: so you cut but off- he says,
1: except if one there is whose heart gives heat, enough to take delight in fallen things, loving the lost with healing fire replete, or raising by degrees the worm's cold wings, that is, sort of, if there's one who actually can love fallen things, right, and heal with fire, i.e. warm us to help us lift up, that's Christ. Right. Right. Christ is the one who actually heals the will and gives us the ability to fly um, without killing us, without violence. We have to suffer a certain kind of violence, but in one sense, uh, our soul uh, is regenerated through grace. We're we're raised up, um, because He loves us, even though we're fallen. Hmm. So then, the final, uh, the final couplet at the end, "Volé o oh, volé," which essentially in Latin is "Will o oh, will," you are double here. events a will to love as one draws near. Right, sort of you've got to have victory of a single love uh, of the one you got to eventually
0: choose between i mean it, it seems that the the creature if i understand this right uh really can't you know have a happy life if he keeps both both tails
1: yeah that's right well uh he needs to renounce the one but there's two ways of doing it either violence to yourself which is that's a certain human side of us where we got to say right. no and fight like heck against our bad our bad inclinations right you know sort of Take a cold shower. Count to ten. Don't lose your temper. Whatever you know, you got to say no to things. You know, say no to the chocolate. Uh, But but um, uh, but there's also the spiritual uh, hope of you know one who loves us enough to actually bring us into one, as opposed
0: to double. Hmm. Kind of makes you think of. I mean, I know we're not supposed to talk about politics today, but it's hard for me not to. Um, it makes you think, though. I don't know when you when we live in such a a, a time that feels divisive on on so many points that you know um, there is a way in which people can turn to something better, to turn to something that you know that there, if you are a Christian or if you believe in God, there is you know a chance at redemption and, and a better way of living, I guess, so to speak. Um,
1: yeah, I I just was teaching uh, the grad class um, recently, and we were talking about uh, dominion and rule uh, and Augustine's City of God, and uh, you know he says that do, dominion over others is a complete result of the sin of sin. Right, we fall, and so that we dominate each other. But if you actually want to be able to rule well. Uh, and in turn, with one another, the way citizens do in a in a polity. Yeah, uh, this is Augustine as the proto Republican. He says you've got to turn to Christ and be ruled by Christ. And if you're ruled by Him, then you will be able to rule your passions. And if you can rule your passions to at least some degree, uh, then then you will be able to govern one another without giving in to the desire to dominate each other. Yeah. Right, which is a kind of bad passion we have. We want to just lord things over each other. Yeah. It's, it's a, you know, turning to Christ is a way that allows us to be friends with one another as opposed to desperately trying to dominate one another because we've actually, we've won dominion over ourselves through subjection to Christ. It's, it's quite a theory. Uh, I think it's pretty apt.
0: It, it, I think it makes sense, you know, um, I've been working on a question myself lately and uh, we're planning on talking about it later in the week. By the way, you're listening to American View right now, where Hillsdale meets the nation, um, and uh, that's the idea of, of uh, friendship and uh, how to be good neighbors in divided times, in the divided times that we live in. And you know, the Bible, of course, I mean, uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, one of the things Jesus says in that that uh, gospel is that you know to love thy neighbor as yourself is. Uh, the second highest commandment out there, you know, but but, the only thing that comes up in front of that is loving God. And, um, it really makes you think, um, you know, that's, I think it's almost a, you know, the way that we treat others here on earth, that is, uh, such a critical part of what it means to be, um, a good Christian and to be a good person overall. But, Mm -hmm. uh, well, um, Doctor Mean, thank you so much for taking the time to share it with us some of these poems. Um, is there anything else you w- you want to add about uh what maybe all of us can, can take away from uh even you know, taking the time to step back and maybe sometimes pick up a book like your own, Doctor or Mr. Mean's Mildly Amusing Mythical Mammals, a book perhaps like you said, uh the target audience is is children or families, but Maybe it can be helpful for all of us to remember, um, like you say in your introduction, what it means to be a child again.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, uh, A sort of, a kind of humility before an author uh, is something that art uh, allows you to do. Right, where you just sort of go, okay, you know, Mark Twain, uh, you know, take me on a ride. You know, just where are you going to take me? Well, I'll just follow you for a while. And, you know, obviously you don't want to do that unadvisedly with books you don't know or trust. <laughs> yeah. Right? You know, and that's, so that's why critics are helpful. Sort of like, this is a good book. It's worth it, you know. Friends that have, you know, waited forth, And, you know, if it's your job, you should be on guard the first time. You don't let any old poet in the house, you know, and to t- into the house of your heart and to tell you stories. But there is something about a kind of uh, a restful humility of... You know, as opposed to reading the New York Times, or you're sort of like guns up, you know, who what they, what's their agenda, what's going on. Yeah. Um, there's something restful uh, in that.
0: Yeah. And, and rest, perhaps, is what anybody who is participating in all the shenanigans that's happening in D.C. could use. So I, I hope you get some too. Um, I hope you enjoy your week this week. Dr. Meehan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us back here in, in Hillsdale. Dr. Mean right now, is calling us from the, the
1: suburbs of Washington, D.C. So um, That's right, and I'm, I am shocked and pleased that my children did not interrupt this interview. Um, and we
0: really appreciate that. So thank you so much. Tell, tell your kids as well, Dr. Meen, that we are very happy that they could uh, help us out. This has been American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. My name is Ben Dietrich. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, American View, WRFH, and on Spotify, Facebook as well. We'll be back on Friday with all the updates on what happens with the impeachment, the State of the Union, the Iowa caucuses, and so much more. Have a great week.